You know, when you study the book of origin, you learn a lot. And what we want to do is we're going to give you some information today that I promise you is going to challenge your mind. It's going to challenge your spirit. I'm going to ask you to really take notes because today we're going to go deep into the Word of God. We're going to talk about not only the creation of God, we're going to talk about the origin of evil. We're going to talk about God and how God moves in the midst of storms in your life and how God can take your chaos and really turn it into order. And you say, well, I don't have any chaos right now. Well, you will. <laughs> you know, if you live long enough, you can surely find something that doesn't seem to work right or fit right in your life. And you say, now, what do I do? And if you know the answer, you see, the book of Genesis sets the stage for everything you're going to need to know and the foundation for everything that you're going to need to understand very, very early. In fact, the first 15 chapters of the book of Genesis introduce to us every single doctrine found in the Word of God. There you find the very theme of God, you find creation, you find man, you find evil, you find sin, you find righteousness, you find the return of Christ, you find the promise of the Messiah, you find the virgin birth, you find the nation of Israel, and I could go on and on and on. So if you understand it correctly, if you begin that journey in Genesis with the right understanding, then when you move your way through other books of the Bible and you get all the way down through the book of Revelation, you'll have a foundation to really understand. Here's the first thing I want you to understand about the book of Genesis and God himself. It is that God thrives on the impossible. Now, we don't always thrive on the impossible. In fact, when something impossible meets us face to face, what do we do? Oh my, what am I going to do? How do I navigate through this one? How do I find a solution to this particular problem? You see, and as you begin to trust in God, you see, here's God who in the velvet blackness before time looks into the universe and says, you know what? I think I can do something with nothing. And he creates out of nothing. He speaks literally the world into existence. And one of the things he does in that process, he creates you in the image of Almighty God. And he gives you, gives to man in that day, dominion over everything. He literally makes man the king of the earth. Man forfeits that by sin and thinks he can do better than God. And that is our dilemma, isn't it? We think we can improve on what God has done or what God has said. But God thrives on the impossible. You know, we love miracles here at Influence Church. It's every week we see the miracles of God. We see the hand of God working in our midst. And I just can't resist but say to tell you, uh, can I do this, Phoebe? Phoebe's mom, stage four lymphoma. The doctor picked up the report this week looked at it and said, Phoebe, I don't know what happened, but your mother does not have cancer anymore. God thrives on the impossible. It is our goal that it comes a time where when we hear the news cancer, 
we automatically know it's a healing and it becomes a ho-hum thing. Oh, of course you're healed because God is working in our midst. You see, we've gotten more of our share than people who've been healed of really, really tragic things. And we believe that God is just bringing a wave upon us. I think we're just in the beginning stages of what God is going to do. And I want to see God do greater and greater things. Amen. Every time I see the miracle of God, I say, God, would you double that? God, would you bring more of your favor? We are greedy for the presence of God. We are greedy to see the hand of God. We are greedy and, and, and just longing for everything that God has. The other thing we learn about God and we learn about his word is that even God has his critics. You ever been criticized by someone? Ever been misunderstood by someone? Well, join a great club because God has his critics. All through the ages, man has said, oh, no, God didn't do that. God didn't create the world. Why, it just happened. We don't know really how it happened, and we don't know what was happening before it happened, but it just happened. And that is what we call faith, faith in the unknown. But we have faith in the known. We also know that God is not the author of crisis. We do a pretty good job of it, right? We can mess something up pretty easily. But God is not the author of crisis. And the reason that's important is in what we're going to study today, we're going to challenge your mind. I promise we will challenge your mind today. We're going to stir up your heart in the word of God. And as we do, you're going to begin to see some things from God's Word, hopefully, that you've never seen before, and it's going to make some sense out of everything that you've learned from the scientific community all the way to the theological community. We believe Christians should be smart. We believe Christians should have answers. We believe there are answers, and we don't have to simply say, well, I don't know, it's just what I believe. We believe there's depth in the word of God. The God that created the heavens and the earth is without limit when it comes to knowledge and understanding. He knows all things as well as he knows anything. He's never learned anything. He's never had an aha moment and said, wow, I never thought of that. And that God is the God who puts his spirit in you, inspires you, and stirs your heart and your mind. So let's take our Bibles and go now to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, and we're going to look at these two verses today, and it begins very simply with the words, in the beginning. In the beginning of what? Time. Before this was eternity, around this is eternity, and beyond this is eternity. God creates time for man. Time is a creature word, not a creator word. God is not limited by time as we're limited by time. And it says, in the beginning, God. This all-powerful God, in the beginning, it says, created. And that word there in the Hebrew means out of nothing. God didn't begin with building materials. God spoke everything into existence. In the beginning, God created the heavens. And that word heavens is the Hebrew word shamayim. It's an interesting word. It literally means their waters. Scientists have been confused about the, uh, the matter in the universe, and what they came to understand was the matter of the universe is really consists of water. And that's a relatively new understanding among scientists. And yet the Hebrew word says their waters. 
In fact, we call those who travel into outer space astronauts. We use the word astra, meaning star, and nautica, to the, the one who travels in the stars through the waters. So Moses, when he penned this from the wisdom of God, was speaking from God's wisdom. He knew more than scientists knew in our day because he was getting it from God himself. And it says he created the heavens and the earth. Now, what I want you to do, if you have your Bible and just mark in there, put the word gap, a gap. There's time that takes place between verse 1 and verse 2, and I'm going to show you that in just a moment. We typically read verse 1, and then we write on to verse 2, and we keep moving our way through, and we don't pause long enough to see and to think about the origin of the universe and what God is up to. How does it put all these pieces together, a gap of time? How long? We don't know. Was it a million years? We don't know. Was it 30 million years? It, we don't know. We simply don't know. All we're going to show you is something happened to God's creation. Now, in verse 2, it says, the earth was... Now, that word there was is literally the word became. It's the Hebrew word that we translate became. Remember, whenever we translate something, we always take and, and we have to turn it into an, a word that kind of makes sense to us. But literally the word is the earth became without form and void. And that Hebrew word there is tohu wabahu. There was a transformation of what God created in verse 1, and it became void and without form. And then darkness, darkness was on the face of the deep. And that, that darkness was spiritual darkness. It was spiritual darkness. And it was on the face of the deep. Now, the deep is not the depth of the water. It's the container in the heavens. Remember we said that the word heavens is shamayim? And it says, and the container of the universe, the waters, were on the face of the deep. And all of a sudden, we begin to see here that, that God was, was bringing something to bear on this earth. And we, we don't know everything yet. We're going to get more details as we move through it. And then it says the Spirit of God was hovering. You know what he does? He hovers. It was used of a chicken that would set on an egg and, and protect it and to keep it warm until it was birthed. You know that's what the Holy Spirit of God does for you? He hovers over you. He's waiting. He's keeping you warm. He's protecting you. He's waiting until you see it or you say, I get it. Now I understand what God is up to. So the spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. And as he hovered, something was getting ready to happen. Now I want you to take some notes here today because here's the first thought. The gap explains some things. It explains, first of all, the age of the universe. Have you ever had one of those debates with the scientific community? How old is the universe? And there are some that think the earth is very young. I happen to be an old earth proponent. I think the earth is very old. I've never seen a young rock. I don't know how to tell the difference between an old rock and a young rock. But here's what I do know. I do know that there's something more going on in this Bible. It's far more complex than simply reading verse 1, verse 2, and saying, well, the earth is not very old. Here's the question I get most of the time. Where do dinosaurs fit in into the Bible? And I say they don't. They're not there. Now, some people say, well, what about Leviathan over in the book of Job? Well, that's Satan. He's the father of all the sons of pride. Luther wrote a hymn, said, and on earth there is no equal. You see, God has something for us to understand. 
We have to try to understand. People say, well, how do you explain dinosaur tracks and man tracks, and yet you don't see any of that in the Word of God? Well, there's an answer, and we're going to show you some of that. Now, remember, everything that we look at from God's perspective, on one hand, has faith as an element, and it has mystery as an element. You can't separate faith and mystery from the Word of God. They go hand in hand. Have you ever noticed how you walk by faith, but yet it's a mystery of what God does and when God does what God does? And you can't just say, well, now I've got it all figured out. Anybody ever said, I've got God figured out? About the time you say that, he turns right, and you're confused again. How about the timing of God? Ever got that one figured out? Well, I know what God is going to do, and then he does something different. You see, God is, his ways are not our ways, it tells us in Isaiah, and his ways are past finding out. Now, it explains the age of the universe. Now, I want you to write down, and we're going to put it on the screen, Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 18. Key verse to understanding Genesis chapter 1. You got it? Isaiah 45 and 18. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain. There's the same word, tohu wabahu. When God created it, it says he did not create it void and in vain or without form. Who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. So here's what Isaiah tells us. In God's original creation, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, the earth was perfect. But something transpired. Something happened that brought chaos and disorder and brought a, a, a void and a darkness on the face of the deep. Now, remember we said earlier that the darkness that came upon the face of the deep was spiritual. Do you realize when God said, let there be light, he was not referring to the sun or the moon or the stars because he doesn't create those until the fourth day, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 14. What kind of light was this? This was God's eternal light. We're going to talk about that next week. We're going to talk about light that has no origin in terms of a physical being. It has origin in God. That's why Revelation says we'll not need the sun or the moon or the stars for the Lord God will be our light. There is a light that never dims. There is a light without shadows. God dwells in eternal light, and with him there is no shadow of turning, the Scripture says. Let me take you to another Scripture, Psalm 104 and verse 30. He says this, You send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. Renew it? Well, you don't renew something unless it was something happened to the old one, Right? You ever renewed your cabinets at your house? You ever renewed something in your life? Well, you already had it, but something, it expired, it was broke, something was wrong with it, and you had to renew it. And it says, you renew the face of the earth. Remember, it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God was hovering. Now, it takes us to this. So what happened? What happened between verse 1 and verse 2? This is the explanation of evil. The number one question people will ask me uh, about God, and when they're skeptical about God, they'll say, well, you know, if there's a good God, why does he permit evil in the world? It's a great question. And it's a question that you need to have some kind of an answer for. How do you explain all the suffering? 
And I always ask people this first question. Well, if there is, a, if there is no God or if he's a bad God, how do you explain good in the world? You see, that's a powerful question. If he's not a good God, then why does he allow any good at all to be on the face of the earth? Why does he allow happiness and joy and good health? And so when you change the perspective a little bit, answer me this, and I'll be glad to answer you that. Well, you see, God created man with a free will. Man could choose to love. Man could choose to hate. Just as God has a free will, God can choose, and we're created in his image. Man chooses evil. So what is the first attack that comes to man? Why has God really said that? First attack in the word of God was the word of God. Now, so what happens? What's the origin of evil? Now, you're going to have to stay with me on this one. Write down Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 13. Ezekiel 28 and 13. Now, I'm going to take you back. Ezekiel's going to take us back, not to 700 B.C. when he was writing. He's going to take us back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Watch this. You were in Eden. Well, isn't that Genesis 3? Just watch with me now. You were in Eden, the garden of God, and every precious stone was your covering on the day that you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. Oh, now wait a minute. There is an angel that was created that was covered in brilliant stones, precious stones. You are the anointed cherub who covers. And I established you, and you were on the holy mountain of God. Now, you don't find that specifically in Genesis 1 to 3, do you? Something's going on here. I establish you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created. So this angelic being created, put on the mountain of God, put in the garden of Eden, was perfect until, it says, inequity was found in you. That is prior to Genesis chapter 3. So what's happening here? The, well, this perfect uh, angel that we find here, this covering cherub, was none other than Lucifer himself. God created the angels before he created man. You see, Genesis 1 to 3 doesn't record the creation of angelic beings, but you find it throughout Scripture. So what does God do? God creates three archangels, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. And one of them leads a rebellion against God. And this one apparently was on planet Earth before Genesis chapter 3. He shows up later in Genesis chapter 3 as who? The serpent, Satan. And what does he do? Well, you see there's a new sheriff in town. His name is Adam. He's now in the garden. God now has empowered him. God has now given him dominion over the face of the deep. God has now given him authority over the birds and over the beasts and over the fish. And all of a sudden, what is he going to do? He is going to take his revenge against Adam and Eve because he has been dethroned. Now, let me show you that. Now, we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 through 14. Remember, now I'm showing you the origin of evil. Where did it come from? It came from Satan's rebellion. How do you explain evil in the world? You explain it with the fall of Lucifer. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Look what it says. How you are fallen from heaven, 
O Lucifer, son of the morning. You see the fall of Satan? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. Well, if you're going to ascend, you have to be on earth. You have to move up somehow. I will exalt my throne. So Lucifer had a throne. Where was it? On earth, in the garden, on the mountain of God. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the congregation in the farthest sides of the north, and I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High God. What was his sin? Pride. Not satisfied rebellion against God. He wanted to be God. And what was the temptation he gave to Adam and Eve? Don't you want to be like God? He said, in the day that you eat of it, you will be like God. You will know good from evil. See, the temptation was, don't you want to be like God? What a great temptation. Satan never comes and says, don't you really want to be a drug addict that can't make his way out of the gutter? Isn't that exciting? No, it is, don't you really want to come to who you really are? And God is a cosmic killjoy, and God's trying to kill all your fun, and he doesn't want you happy. And, and so if you'll just rebel against God and choose the knowledge of good and evil, then you will be like God. So here we see the origin of God, of Satan, and origin of evil. So what does God do? God creates angelic beings. And guess what? It says in Revelation, one-third of all the angels followed him in his rebellion. Two-thirds did not. Now, who are these angels and what do they do? Well, angels, the Bible says in Hebrews, ministers to you and I. Do you know that angels assist you along the way? Now, they can only fly about 65 miles an hour, so if you're going too fast on the highway, just know they're backing off and say, whoa. I don't know that to be true. By the way, did you know angels are only men? There are no women angels in the Bible. Ladies, did you know that? Angels don't have wings either. Did you know that? Now, they do at Christmas time, but they just put those on for special occasions. And you see, God has this created order. You see, right now, we are living in the midst of a spiritual climate. We can't see the spiritual climate we find ourselves in, but we are living in a spiritual climate. Do you know the Bible says there's even special protection by angels on the part of children? Special protection on the part of of women. Isn't that interesting? That they are ministering spirits sent for us, and we don't know. Sometimes you say, I don't know how I made it through that, or I don't know how I avoided that crisis, that accident, or whatever was going on in my life, and you may not ever know. You just say, well, God was with me. It may have been God sending an angel to protect you. There are angels that are assigned even over nations, over countries. Just as there are demonic spirits that come against nations and individuals and the demonic spirits in scripture are those fallen angels that followed satan in his rebellion and so there is a spiritual climate of warfare around you but god is not not in any way threatened nor are his angels because god is all powerful now what we want to see here is not only the the, the way that god has designed this this universe and this origin of evil but i want you to see the heart of god because this is really important. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says this. Write it down. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says this. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. You know what, you know what pleases God? Faith. I trust you, God. 
It says, without faith it is impossible to please God, for he that comes to God must believe that he is. So what, what's the first step? I must come to God and believe that he is truly God. He is truly God. But here's the second part, and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Do you know that God wants to reward you? You say, well, should we serve God because he rewards us? Absolutely. That's not selfishness. That's what he says. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You mean, God, if I seek you, you're going to bless me? Absolutely. You mean, God, if I follow you and I do what you ask, you're going to favor me? Yes, absolutely. I'm going to do that. In fact, the Bible says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourself treasures in where? In heaven. You know what I mean? God wants me to have treasure in heaven? Absolutely. In fact, it's a command of God. God wants us to thrive. God wants us to be in the middle of it. But let me show you something. I love this quote from Bill Johnson. He says, like faith, fear is substance in the spiritual realm. Anybody ever fear, been afraid, don't know what the future is going to hold? Put it away. Satan has no power except through our agreement. You see, when I agree with fear, have you ever noticed how fear takes control of you? You've known people, that, and maybe you've been in that boat where you just said, I'm afraid I don't know what I'm going to do. And what does that do? Does that make you feel better? I'm just so afraid, I just don't know what I'm going to do. Do you ever go, boy, that was a good feeling. I want to say that every day. How about somebody comes up to you and say, I'm afraid, I don't know what I'm going to do, and they begin to tell you bad news. Does it lift your spirit or bring it down? Well, it brings it down. You see, so here's what it's saying here. It says, Satan has no power except through our agreement. Fear becomes our heart's response when we come into agreement with his intimidating suggestions. Don't let Satan intimidate you. Don't let him control your mind or your emotions. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. You know what the wiles, that, that Greek word means the strategies. He's got a strategy of intimidation. He's got a strategy of destruction. Do not do that. Put on the helmet of your salvation. Why? You've got to protect what you think about. You've got to protect your mind. Because a million thoughts come through your mind, don't they? And they're pounding away at you, and they're saying everything, everything in the world. You say, I don't know how I get all this stuff out of my head. You stop, and you say, I just begin to praise God. If you've got five minutes to pray, here's what I say. Use 80% of your time to praise God. Don't give him your problems. As you begin to praise him, you've got, now you've got 20% left. You've got a minute left to ask him and to pour out your heart. But guess what? You've set the stage for the presence of God in your life. You just begin to say, you, let's say fear grips your heart. Practically speaking, what do you do? God, I just want to give you praise. You're the great and the mighty God. You are the creator God. You are the sustainer God. You are everything. God, there is nothing that comes up against your kingdom. And may your presence and your power fall right now in my midst. And you begin to see the presence and feel the presence of God in your life. And all of a sudden, guess what? All that stuff diminishes. Fear, when you run from it, gets bigger. Fear, when you face it in the power of God, it's dispelled. Dispel fear in the name of Jesus Christ. We need to see the heart of God, seeing the heart of God. Guess what? God sees you through his eyes, not yours. You say, well, this is just how I feel. Well, quit feeling that way. 
You know how you quit feeling that way? It's the way you think. Everything follows a pattern, mind, will, and emotions. What you think, you decide, becomes your feeling. People are never led by their feelings. They say, well, they're just led by their emotions or their feelings. No, they're not. They're led by their mind. Their mind hears something, their mind makes a decision, and the result is an emotion. People are led by their mind. This problem is go back to the origin of the thought, see where it is, don't embrace that thought of fear, and instead rejoice in the Lord. How about this one? God's plans for you are better than your plans for you. You may have some great plans, and I'll bet you do. You may have some noble thoughts, I'll bet you do. Guess what? God has greater plans for you. Tap into God's plans and see what God can do. Also, God empowers you with his faith and not yours. I just don't know if I have much faith. You don't need much faith. God will give you all you need. God will lead you all the ways that you need to go. Watch this. George Mueller, great man of prayer, started orphanages in England, and he was, he was prone to say this when it came to prayer and trusting God. George Mueller never quits. He said, I never accept a no from God. It's kind of bold, isn't it? God says no, and George says, yes, I'm going to pray. George Mueller was so powerful in what he did in the orphanage and funding the modern mission movement that he gave in the 1800s what would be the equivalent today of over $30 million to Hudson Taylor to fuel his ministry in China. And he never asked one person for a dollar. He did it all through prayer. He said it's possible to move men to God by prayer alone. Never fear someone asking you for money. Fear God that they're praying that you get moved for money. That's when it gets dangerous, amen? Because how do I say no to God? You ever had that moment where God just kind of stirs your heart and God's nudging you to do something and you just kind of want to hurry up and move on? Turn on the radio. I got I to blast God out because I don't like the message God's given me. It sounds like a commitment of time, a commitment of money, a commitment of my talent. No, when God speaks, let God speak. Here's what Mueller said. I live in the spirit of prayer. I pray as I walk about, when I lie down and when I rise up, and the answers are always coming. I just expect God to answer. I expect God to do miracles. If God's not doing miracles, I say, God, that's your job. My job is simply to ask. Your job is to produce. You told me, ask and believe, and you shall receive. I'm just going to ask, God. He said, the answers are always coming. Thousands and tens of thousands of times, my prayers have been answered. And here's the key. When, when once I am persuaded that a thing is right, and for the glory of God, I go on praying for it until the answer comes. He goes on to say in that quote, the great fall with the children of God is they do not persevere. They do not persevere. God loves persistence. Why, in Luke chapter 11, he talks about a man who comes at midnight, and he knocks on the door, and he just wants some bread. And the guy's in bed, the kids are all asleep, and the guy says, go away, everybody's asleep. What does he do? Go away, go away. He knocks all the louder. And guess what that parable is about? It's a story about persistence in prayer. 
We quit too soon. We quit before the victory comes. You're, you're contending with cross currents in the spiritual realm. You have to fight. You have to be there. You have to be in the midst of that. That's what prayer and fasting is all about, is prayer may not be enough. You have to supercharge it with fasting. In Matthew chapter 17, when the disciples came and, and they said, we couldn't cast the demon out of the boy, Jesus said this, these some kind do not come out except by prayer and fasting. You've got to supercharge prayer sometimes. You've got to stay in the fight. You've got to persevere to see God do something great. Amen? When once I am persuaded, I keep on praying. Now, let me give you some life applications. Here's the first one. The Spirit of God is hovering, hovering over you to bring life, to bring life. You know, we started this series called Square One, and, and uh, someone suggested a Rubik's Cube. How many of you have one of these? How many of you hate these? I mean, really, you hate them, right? Do you know the world's record that I could find? There may be some later ones, but the world's record for uh, putting this back to where it's supposed to be is 9.8 seconds. Our own uh, student ministry pastor, Drew, did it in a minute and nine, so he's really dragging. <laughs> the world record for a three-year-old putting together is 10.8 seconds. Don't you wish you were as smart as a three-year-old? But, you know, if you think about it, it's a, it's a great picture, isn't it, about going back to square one. Because people live their life like a Rubik's Cube. They get all the colors going in the wrong direction, and nothing makes sense. So what we did was we, we actually have one of these for all of you. So when you leave today, you're going to get a Rubik's Cube. And on one side of it, it's got the little logo of Influence Church. But it's not just something cute to frustrate you. Okay, you notice on it, it has a color orange. You know, an orange is kind of a color of caution, right? You see orange, you go, slow down, wait a minute. So what I want you to do is take this Rubik's Cube, and you can, it's a keychain. You can use it that way. And, you know, guys, I know this is not, like, super cool to put in your pants, you know. It's, I mean, it's like, you know, re really? Do you have something smaller? Um, but, um, but think about it, caution. You can think about caution. And you, what you say to someone, hey, you know, let me tell you something about the Rubik's Cube here. we got this orange on here. And caution is you need to kind of slow down and think. Have you ever thought about Jesus? Okay? And then you can spin it over here to red. You know that Jesus died on the cross and he spilled his blood for you because he loves you. And he loves you because green, he wants to give you new life new life in Jesus Christ. And if, if you believe on him and accept him, he will. And guess what he'll do? He'll spin it to white. He'll cleanse you. Be pure as snow. And then God has something for you. A royal family. A bloodline that is pure and good, fixed in the heavens. Because one day, God has streets of gold, yellow, for you. There's an eternity for you. And you can use this simple little tool as a way. And then what I'd like to ask you to do, if you get a chance to give that presentation to someone, just give it to them. Just get, would you like to have that? Just as a little keychain, a little reminder, and, and, you know, maybe a little way to get frustrated. And by the way, we're doing a series called Back to Square One, and, and we can help you get that thing back in order once you mess it up. We'll have Drew here. It'll take him a minute. Or we might bring in the three-year-old from the Midwest and... A little guy can do it in about 10 seconds. But it has a logo on it. Just remind people, you know what? 
we'd like to help you bring your, back, your life back to square one. So you'll get one of those as you go out today, and I pray you'll use it as a, as a tool for the kingdom. Here's a second life application. God can restore all that you've lost, but you have to ask him. God can do more in five seconds than you can do in five years. If you've been working really hard to try to get something happening, would you just trust God? Would you just simply trust God? But, no, trust God. But what if I've trusted him before, did you really? Or did you go through the drive-thru and expect him to give you something like that? Did you really trust him? You know, uh, last night I, I just needed a McDonald's ice cream. It's the best dessert in town. It's a buck eight. We went out to a fine restaurant some time back, and I looked on there. It was The dessert was $9, and I calculated it up. There were six people at the table. I said, there's no way I could get everybody McDonald's ice cream cone here for six bucks. I went up there, and I ordered in the little window. I went to the next window, and I paid my dollar eight. I expected an ice cream when I got to that second window. If, if I drove up there and they said, I'm sorry, no ice cream today. So, well, I just paid. Well, that's too bad. You made a bad decision there, grasshopper. <laughs> I would be mad. Wouldn't you be mad? I want my, I don't need that ice cream, but I'm getting ready to start a 21-day fast, and I want that ice cream. <laughs> and it better be a big one. Hey, guess what? God doesn't operate exactly like that. You don't pay money and then you get the product. You trust in God. And sometimes the window's further down the road than you think. But God always hands you the ice cream. Amen. 